The Duty of Women, Chapter 9 We rode back to London a few days after Queen Catherine's death. This time we were a lot slower, both hardly speaking. We were mourning her and unable to find the spirit to even converse. But when we got to London, Lady Willoughby asked me what I was going to do. I will go back to the court, my lady. I hope Anne Boleyn will take me back. Lady Willoughby tightened her lips. The concubine cat, should you ever tire of working for her, you must come to me. I will find you employment. I cannot let my Catalina's daughter starve. You and I, we are part of her and always will be. I was heartened by this. Lady Maria Willoughby was married to an English peer. Her household was a great one, but she was not in the king's favour. Living with her would be nothing like as exciting as being at court. She is ill-used by the king, as Queen Catherine was, I said. Maria snorted. That is her own fault, Cat. I have no sympathy. But her face had softened. Like me, she detested King Henry. Maria could not help but feel some satisfaction that he was now abusing the great concubine, Anne Boleyn, and that somehow lessened her dislike. If her pregnancy produces a prince, she will be safe, she said. Otherwise, she is a sitting target. Go if you must. But remember, you will always have a place with me if you need it. I arrived back at Greenwich with my excuses prepared. I decided that I would tell the truth. Queen Anne knew that I had served Queen Catherine and I hoped that she would accept that I had gone at Lady Willoughby's entreaty. At the very least, the news that Catherine was dead should lessen her annoyance. When I arrived at the Queen's apartments, Queen Anne was not in her presence chamber It was strangely deserted, except for a few servants passing through with firewood, candles and brushes to sweep the floor. I caught up with a footman carrying a barrel of ale through from the cellar. Where's the Queen? I asked. He smiled. Why, she's with the King. They're having a party. I was puzzled. Christmas and New Year were now well over. What's the party for? I asked. It's to celebrate the death of the Dowager Princess, he bent and whispered to me. The old queen, as we know her, they are mad with joy. The king is making merry with the old court. I followed him through the palace to the king's presence chamber, 
the largest and most magnificent in the whole palace. The hall was blazing with candles and noisy with music and laughter. People were calling out for the king and queen to lead the next dance, a spirited galliard. I made them out from among the crowds of people, making their way to the head of the hall. It was not hard to find them. They were both dressed in yellow, and the king had a large white feather in his cap. Still grieving for Catherine, I saw this as it was, a gratuitous insult to a great lady. I was so angry, I wondered if I should go straight back to Lady Willoughby. Everyone I knew here was happy that Queen Catherine had died. I felt more alone than ever before. As the musicians were tuning up, the king clapped his hands. Let the lords and ladies dance late into the night tonight. For, thank God, we are now free of any fear of war. Of course, he had risked war with the Holy Roman Emperor by divorcing his aunt. Now she was dead, politics could continue as usual, unswayed by any family feeling. All of the courtiers clapped him enthusiastically, and I sensed a feeling of great relief among them. Henry turned and held out his hand to Queen Anne, radiant in saffron-coloured silk. He led her out in front of the others, and the musicians struck up a lively tune. I noticed Mark Smeaton and wondered if he had usurped my place already. George Boleyn was there, the Duke of Suffolk, Henry Norris and William Brereton. Sir Thomas Wyatt waved at me as he led lady after lady onto the floor. And so the court danced while Queen Catherine was barely cold. I could understand the relief though. Everyone had wanted Catherine to compromise and she hadn't. She had sworn though that she wouldn't ask her nephew to invade England on her behalf and she had kept her word but the fact that she was now dead removed the last impediments to a glorious new age, a baby princess and a prince to come, of the reformed church and an English king no longer subject to an outside power. Later, the king fetched Princess Elizabeth and showed her round the room, tickling her and feeding her with sweetmeats. I noticed Lady Bryan standing there, frowning slightly, no doubt hoping that she could bring her charge back to Hatfield tomorrow where she could resume her routine. But on that night, she stayed up late, spoiled by her father and mother and every courtier in the room. Queen Anne withdrew early to her chambers, curtsying to the king. He nodded indulgently. He would not want her to get overtired with the baby prince she was carrying in her womb. I followed her procession and caught her as she entered her privy chamber. She sat down, took off her hood and put her hand in the small of her back. My back hurts, she complained. Then she saw me. Cat Cook, where have you been? I have not seen you for days. I took a deep breath. Your Majesty, I was asked to accompany... Uh, Lady Willoughby to Kimbolton. Anne sat up straight. What? 
You went to that old woman? How could you be so disloyal? You are a viper. Go away. I do not want to see you tonight. Your very presence disturbs me. Remembering what she was like when she lost her temper, I curtsied quickly and withdrew. I would sleep in the maid's dormitory tonight and go to see Will tomorrow. By the time I returned, I hoped Queen Anne would be in a better frame of mind. I went to the office where Will worked early the next morning and waited for him. I knew he was always the first in, and so I hoped to catch him on his own. Just before daybreak, I heard his footsteps approaching the door, quick and businesslike as always. He opened the door, started back in surprise, and then spoke. Where in God's name have you been? I've been searching for you and no one knew anything. Tell me, what have you been doing? He looked angrier than I'd ever seen him before. I'm sorry, Will. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell anyone or else we would have been stopped. Stopped? What do you mean? Were you doing something illegal? His voice was like ice. I tried to pacify him. Uh, Only a little. Will, please understand. I had to see my mother before she died. Lady Willoughby told me she was very ill and I knew I had to say goodbye. Will sighed and sat down. So, let me be correct. You went with Lady Willoughby to see the Princess Dowager on her deathbed. I nodded and he looked at me angrily. And in doing so, you went expressly against the king's wishes. You also risked your position with Queen Anne, and you laid us open to Cromwell's revenge. You know that he warned you against going to Catherine. Good work, Cat. You have ruined my future Put yourself in grave danger and are likely to be charged with treason. Treason? I gasped. Surely not. We were doing no harm. Will looked at me, his brow furrowed. Catherine was seen as being in league with the Spanish. Any contact with her could be seen as traitorous. Don't you understand? After all we've been through? He took my arm and pulled me to the door. Leave me, cat. Do not come back to Austin Friars. Cromwell will not forgive you. But where shall I go? I cried out. A passing page looked curiously at us and then hurried on his way. I don't care. You betrayed me, cat. I begged you not to get involved with all of this. But no, you had to do it. I don't think you care about us. No, no, that's not true, I cried out, but Will didn't stop. You didn't think about the effect on us, did you? I shook my head, feeling very guilty. So, will I be charged with treason? I asked quietly. He looked at me coldly and said, You were willing to risk that, weren't you? But you're not so brave now. Don't worry. You've lost your post, but you won't lose your life. The king and queen have better things to do with their time. 
Lie low and you should be all right. But don't come back home now. I cannot guarantee your safety. He pushed me out of the door and I started to cry. Don't you understand? I just lost my mother, the best queen England ever had. Will tensed up and put his hand over my mouth. For God's sake, keep quiet. You do not know what danger you put us in. Now go, if you must go, to Lady Willoughby, but keep out of my way. With that, he gave me another push, then slammed the door shut. Daughter, I cannot tell you how desolate I felt. I ran back towards the Queen's chambers, not thinking straight, but going instinctively to where I had always felt safe. By my stupidity, I had lost Will and all that he meant to me. But a part of me felt angry with him. Yes, I had been reckless, but surely he should understand that I had to be with Queen Catherine as she passed. He had disappointed me and I thought less of him. Nearing the Queen's apartments, I put my head down and ran. I could barely see for the tears that were coursing down my cheeks, not that it mattered. I could not find my way to the Queen's apartments in pitch darkness. Hey, cat, what's the matter? I'd run into a man's chest. Taller than me, he had put his arm around me and was looking down with concern. Tom, I gulped. I'm lost. I've lost Will. I've lost the Queen. I'll have to leave court. I cannot bear it. When I said I'd lost the Queen, I was meaning the old Queen, but Tom took me to mean Queen Anne. Whatever has happened, Cat, we can sort it out. Don't worry. The tears started again at his kindness, and I clung to him, breathing in his scent of cedarwood and pine. He moved quickly. Cat, come. We cannot talk in front of people. Come to my chamber. It isn't far. He steered me along through numerous chambers, some humming with people whom he ignored, through the yard and up some stairs, then through more chambers, and then at last up a small spiral staircase. At the top he paused and opened the door. Here, cat. You're safe here. There was a manservant laying a fire and Tom sent him to fetch bread and cheese. There was already a large flagon of wine on the sideboard with several goblets standing beside it. Tom sat me down on the settle by the fire and poured me a large goblet of wine. The servant returned and gave me a platter with spiced meats, cheese and freshly baked bread. Tom waved him away and told me to eat. I hadn't noticed how hungry I was. I hadn't eaten properly since Kim Bolton. I tore into the bread, tears still running down my cheeks. Tom poured us both a goblet of wine and sat sipping his, waiting for me to finish. Eventually, I pushed the platter away from me. What has happened? he asked. I haven't seen you for days, and now I find you weeping, as if your own mother had died. 
I couldn't tell him that that was exactly what had happened. But I had to explain what I'd been doing. You know I served Queen Catherine before. Well, I went to see her before she died. Will is very angry with me about it. He says I'm risking his career at court. He sent me away, Tom. He doesn't want to see me again. Tom looked troubled. He has to be careful, Cat. We can't afford to be human while we're at court. I sobbed out loud. But why? All I was doing was seeing a dying woman. Tell me what's wrong with that, Tom. What hurt does that do to anyone? Queen Anne called me a viper. Tom raised me up. He took me in his arms. You've been hurt by this circus, as I have, Cat. Don't give up. We need real people in this place, real sweet people. And he kissed me full on the lips. Daughter, please do not blame me, but I felt so alone. I returned his kiss, desperate for some affection, someone to tell me that I was worthy of love. Will's rejection had left me aching, and Tom was offering to soothe that ache. He took me over to the bed, and we lay down together. It wasn't frantic or intense. It was just like two friends, kissing and talking, talking and kissing. You're an artist, Cat, he said, delicately kissing the tips of my fingers. With these sweet digits, you bring delight. You're the best musician I've ever heard. You would go far if you were not a woman. I wish I wasn't a woman. Then I would be able to make my own life like you. Tom laughed softly. I do not make my life. None of us do. And it would be such a loss for you not to be a woman. You're the very sweetest, most delicious woman I know. And you're in my bed. God is kind to me tonight. He pulled my coif off and worked to undo my braids. After a few minutes, my hair was down my back, red gold in the firelight. Cat, you're so beautiful. May I take off your gown so that I can see you, all of you? Daughter, I should have refused, but he was so charming and I needed to feel loved that night. So I stood up and let him unlace me. I stepped out of my gown and pulled my shift over my head. Cat, you are Venus, the goddess of love, he breathed, taking off his own clothes and flinging them on the floor. And then, daughter, we made love. I refused to be ashamed of it, because he was kind, and he brought me great pleasure in his bed. I knew that nothing serious could ever come of it, with him being a gentleman and me a lowly lute player. But for that night, we were equals and we gave and received pleasure equally. The next morning, I woke up to see Tom pulling on his clothes. 
he saw my eyes open and leant over to kiss my nose. Get dressed now, Cat. We'll go and see the Queen. I will make things all right. Tom was still close to Queen Anne. I knew that. And when he ushered me into her presence, she smiled to see him. But when she turned to me, her face was grim. Your Majesty, I have found a lost lute player, he said, bowing. I curtsied and kept my eyes on the ground. I told her to go away, Queen Anne said. She left my service without any notice. That is enough. But then, when she told me she had gone to see old Catherine, the Princess Dowager, that was a knife to my heart. Is that not the action of a viper, Tom? You tell me. She looked challengingly at Tom Wyatt. He started talking to her softly, as maybe he had in the past. Your Majesty, I know you have the kindest heart. I have often depended on you, and you've never let me down. Anne pursed her lips and nodded. And so? she asked. Mistress Cat is deeply sorry for her action. It was a foolish thing and influenced by an excess of feeling and loyalty which she possesses in great measure. Your Majesty, you know deep in your heart that Cat is loyal. She was loyal to Catherine when it only brought her trouble. She will be as loyal to you. Anne looked at me consideringly. I'm full of remorse at what I did, I said, and I prostrate myself to beg your pardon. I knelt down in front of her, as Tom had instructed me to do. And your majesty, Cat is setting some of my poems to music, Tom told her. I stirred a little. I did not know this. We wish to perform them for you to celebrate when your prince is born. Tom, you know how to twist me round your little finger. Oh, do get up, cat. Very well, you can stay. But one more foot out of place and that will be it. I pulled myself up, stammering my thanks. She took one look at me and my dishevelled state and waved imperiously at me. Now go and clean yourself up. Get out of my sight. I backed quickly out of the room before she could change her mind. As I left, I heard her asking Tom to walk with her in the gardens and entertain her. He answered cheerfully, the relief permeating his voice. I shall be honoured, Your Majesty. So... I rejoined Queen Anne's household, trying to merge into the background as far as possible. She was a little distant with me, but not unkind. Her mind was occupied much more with her pregnancy and her swelling belly. While I played, she would call out when the baby was moving, getting her mother to come and feel it kicking. She rested often, but that didn't stop the terrible sickness that assailed her, as it had done in the past. She gained some relief from drinking an infusion of ginger, but the rich foods that were served to the court often made her wretch. 
She was determined, though, to go to the jousts that King Henry was competing in. It was January, so she was wearing a green velvet gown lined with soft white ermine and scattered with diamonds. Her cloak was of sable, the most expensive and exclusive fur there was. Though her face was worn and tired, she looked every inch a queen. I was left behind in her apartments. I did not enjoy jousting, particularly when the weather was cold. I had hoped to speak with Tom, but he was outside cheering at the sport. We were still friendly, and I knew in him I had an ally. But the night we spent together had not been repeated. I think we both knew that it wouldn't go anywhere. I was happy to keep it as a special memory of love between friends. If it had continued, there were so many risks, disgrace, losing my post, even pregnancy. So without speaking about it, we had both gone back to the way we were, without any recriminations or blame. I plucked listlessly at my lute. I had a composition that I'd been working on and I couldn't get it to go right. I wanted it to be joyful, full of zest. I hoped I could play it for the Queen on May Day. Absorbed, I didn't notice at first the clatter of feet running up the stairs. It was only when Tom burst in that I looked up. His face was ashen. The King has had an accident. He's not moving. I fear he's dead. I jumped up and ran to him. What do you mean, Tom? What's happened? His horse threw him, then fell on top of him. They took him from the field, but he wasn't moving. His eyes were closed. I shuddered at the thought. The men in the jousts were all wearing heavy plate armour, as were the horses. The weight of all that falling on a human body, heart, lungs, stomach. It was inconceivable that anyone could survive. Where is the queen? Such a sight must have been deeply shocking for her. Her husband, the father of her unborn child, killed in plain sight. She's with him now. The doctors are trying to revive him. I fear it is in vain. She's crying and praying, but to no avail. There was a flurry outside the door, and Thomas and Elizabeth Boleyn came in. They had been made Earl and Countess of Wiltshire now their daughter was the Queen, but I could tell by their faces that they were scared that they might lose everything. The Earl of Wiltshire closed the door behind him and turned to his wife. He's dead. He hasn't moved for two hours. He's gone, wife. So what are we going to do? Elizabeth, the Countess, cried out. We must think carefully. We will need a temporary regency until Anne gets to her term. If it is a boy, then he is king. Otherwise, it is Princess Elizabeth who will be queen. Either way, we must retain control of Anne and of Princess Elizabeth. We should send out George and some men to take control of Hatfield House. Where is George? He's with Anne, whispered their mother. She's in his arms. He hasn't got time for that, the earl snapped. He must muster some men and go now. 
The Countess sat down heavily. What about Princess Mary, she said. There will be many who say she should be queen. All the more reason for George to go to Hatfield. He can take custody of her as well as of Elizabeth. Mary is of age and her mother was well respective. All we have is an unborn babe and a toddler. She is very dangerous to us. The Countess was very scared. She knew what would happen to her family should powerful nobles install Mary as queen. We will keep her prisoner, don't worry, her husband said, and we will remind everyone that she is illegitimate and enthralled to Spain. Once we have our baby prince, people will forget all about her. England wants a boy, and that is what we will give them. Go then and find George, the countess told him. Before he could move, there came a sound of unearthly wailing from outside the door. It burst open and Queen Anne rushed in, followed at some distance by her ladies. The screaming was as if she was in agony, which she surely was. She was shaking uncontrollably and her face was white except for her red swollen eyes. Two ladies approached her and tried to get her to sit down, but she fought them off like a wildcat, clawing and pushing them away. Her mother went up to her and slapped her hard across the face. A wave of shock went through the room at this assault on an anointed queen, but it made Anne pause for a moment, standing there, gulping for breath, like a little girl who has just been overtaken by her temper. Anne, remember the baby, her mother said. You must not upset yourself. Remember the baby, remember the baby. Is that all that matters? My life is ruined and all you can say is remember the baby. The countess went back to her and managed to steer her to a settle beside the fire. Then more tears came, this time without sound. She looked utterly desolate as she sat there, turning away all offers of comfort. At last, she looked up at all of us and wiped her eyes with the handkerchief. I must tell you that the king is dead. And so everything will change.